Would you join me in prayer? O Lord, your word is rich and full and living. May we hear and see what you have in mind for each of us this day. Amen. We love stories, right? We love books. We love movies. We love streaming stories on television. Uh, we love just hearing stories. A great storyteller is someone that you always enjoy being around because they always have a great story and tell it so well. We love stories. And I think we always love stories about the un underdogs. We Americans, we love the underdog story. I think we also love stories about small, insignificant things that becomes something of importance, something that's big and huge and it matters. For example, in 1994, a man started an online bookstore out of his garage. Now love it or leave it, but Amazon.com is now the largest retailer in the world. Out of the garage, out of his garage. In 1901, there were a couple of buddies from high school who wanted to put a motor, not only two boys in high school would think of this, God love you, high school boys, they wanted to put a motor on their bicycle, right? Who wouldn't? One was named William Harley, and his friend was Arthur Davidson. And so today, the motorcycle that is known worldwide and the longest continuous production of a motorcycle, the Harley Davidson Company. My brother was very proud of that story. They didn't work out of a garage though because there were no garages, there were no cars, so you don't well, a lot of us need a garage even if we didn't have a car because we've got our stuff in it. But anyway, the point is, they didn't have a garage. And then in 1969, there was a 16-year-old boy who wanted to create something for his mother for a gift. That's a sweet idea. Um, and so he melted some crayons in the shape of a candle and on kind of a lark, he decided to scent it, to put a scent in there. Well, Mother loved the candle, and so did all of Mother's friends. And they all began asking him, would, would, they, would he please make them a scented candle? Four years later, when he was 20, he rented an old unused mill building in their town. And now we know his product, as the Yankee Candle Company, largest manufacturer of scented candles in the United States. A small idea. Now there are lots of stories like this. I'll tell you two more. One, here's the first one. Um, there was this fella in a five and dime in Bentonville, Arkansas. Yeah, like it or not, 11,000 stores and 2.3 million employees later, 
Walmart came into existence. Here's the other story I want you to hear about this small, seemingly insignificant thing that really is a big deal. It's a story that Jesus told. Today's parable is probably Jesus' most famous parable. It's amazing to me that it is as relevant today as it was to that crowd who first heard it. That's amazing to me, but it is the living word of God. Good teachers can make the most complex things simple so people like me can understand it. Not simplistic. They don't do away with all of the nuances and the value of it by being simplistic, but they make it simple. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus was a master teacher. The parable is found in three Gospels. Uh, Charles read it out of Matthew, but it's also found in Mark and Luke. Jesus is in a home. That home is not named, but it's a home by a lake. Um, Kind of home we'd all like to have, maybe. And what usually happened when Jesus appeared in public? A crowd gathers. I think this speaks well of Jesus and his attractiveness. And so he is speaking to the crowd and, and, and it's getting too big and people can't hear him and they can't see him and there's more of an uproar about that going on than what he's trying to teach. So he does what you would do. He goes over and gets in the little boat that's there and pushes out from shore. And now... He can see the whole crowd, and they can hear him because you know what water water does to sound. It transmits it, right? We were up at Sailboat Cove recently at Smithville Lake, and there was a woman whom we could never see where she was, but we heard every word of her conversation because it traveled across the water. That wasn't you, was it, Gwen? Okay. Well, I'm not going to tell what she was talking about, but it's amazing how water transmits the sound. So they're they're an agricultural people. They know about soil and plants and seeds. They understand this imagery. And they knew the difference between crops and weeds. They knew that this tiny, tiny mustard seed produced a very large plant. Eugene Peterson, in his translation, The Message, uses the analogy of an acorn that produces an oak tree. That's to help Midwesterners understand what this image is. A little tiny acorn that produces this big, beautiful, magnificent oak tree. And the yeast is a very common image for them. Bread was a staple of their daily diet. They had had bread every day. I've recounted to some of you that my grandmother McNeil, who I suspect was married all of her adult life, um, made biscuits every morning for breakfast, fresh biscuits. She made a loaf of yeast bread for lunch. 
and a loaf of yeast bread for dinner every day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, and for all of the years that she was married. And so to this day, if I smell yeast bread baking, guess where I go? <laughs> I am transported back to my grandmother McNeil, to their household, and probably very close to my grandmother McNeil because she had baked so much with yeast that what she wore, was, her cologne was owed of yeast. I mean, that she sm my grandma smelled like a loaf of baked yeast bread. So that's, that's where my mind goes. So it was a very common thing for them to understand what leaven did to a little chunk of dough, turns it into a loaf of bread. And, and speaking of this leaven, every good Jewish mother would give many gifts to their daughter, but one of the gifts that she would give would be a piece of the leaven from the last loaf of bread that was made in the household before the daughter married, she would give her that leaven to make her first loaf of bread in her newly formed family with her new husband in that new household. Isn't that, isn't that a wonderful image, a wonderful gift? She takes from her family of origin this thing that is very core and foundational to her life in that family and, and, and brings it into her new family that's founded. I just think it's a beautiful image. Well, how do we hear and read this story today? Most of us, though we may have been agricultural people, we no longer are. And um, a few of you bake bread. Uh, hint, hint. Um, but not all of us, not, not many of us. Um, and none of us, I don't think, grow mustard shrubs. So what do we make of this parable, this story? What does it teach us? As Jesus said to those who listened across the water, if you have a receptive heart and mind, you will be shaped by the heart and mind of Christ. If we have a receptive heart and a receptive mind, then we can be shaped by the heart and mind of Christ. It will be our core and our foundation. And it can begin in really small and subtle ways. And, and be aware, it will take time to grow this mind and heart of Christ in us. And it takes an ongoing receptivity. It's not a one and done kind of decision. It's constantly inviting that heart and mind of Christ to be growing and alive in us. It could begin with a kind word when in the past you may have not been so kind. Maybe I was even harsh. 
or to look lovingly onto a person or a situation when in the past I might have judged or ignored the obvious need that was there. What grows within us is the kingdom of God. What grows within us is the image of Christ making us into the image of God's plan and purpose for us. The kingdom of God or the reign of God is where God is in charge. This potential, this potential is present in each one of us and the community of us as Christ's church. It's a beautiful image. And and don't forget that Jesus believes in us. Jesus believes in us. Did you ever think about that? What that means? And Jesus believes in our ability to expand God's kingdom. That's what the church is all about. That's what being a disciple, a follower of Jesus is all about. God's reign here on earth. Jesus believes that we can allow the reign of God to grow within us and to reflect who God is to all of creation. And Jesus is very optimistic about this. This is his plan, the church, to continue to be his presence, his embodiment in this world. Jesus says to us, my friends, the smallest seed of who God is in you is ready to grow into this expansive image of God within you. We shouldn't fail to notice that this image of God's reign also offers hospitality. Note that the birds came to rest in the branches of this mustard uh, shrub or plant. And the woman making those loaves of bread, that's way more than her household can have in one day. She's, she's making bread and carrying it to others who for whatever reason cannot make their own bread. It's hospitality. Hospitality. That's why we talk about it so much around here. Hospitality is related to and is part of the kingdom of God. Jesus repeats many parables about the kingdom. And he always begins, the kingdom of God is like. Never says, there, that's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like, and then illustrates it. The problem was, with his audience, that they had expected the Messiah to overthrow the foot of oppression on their necks. You see, Rome was in control. Rome was in control of their lives. And they, they believed, they had hoped for, they wanted a deliverer from that oppression. But when Jesus was on trial, 
Pontius Pilate asked him, So are you king of the Jews? And in John 18, verse 36, Jesus tells him, My kingdom is not of this world, not of this world. Yet, here he is, talking to an oppressed people, wanting to change the power systems. And we still struggle with understanding that the oppressed are lifted when we allow the kingdom of God to grow in us and in this church. Because when the reign of God is done, my friends, no one will be oppressed. No one will be oppressed when the kingdom of God is done. There will be no oppressors. The power systems will be changed, and they are all replaced by the reign of God. In people where the tiny seed of obedience to God and the leavening work of the Spirit took hold, those people, they were Jesus' early followers, and they were so transformed by Christ as their Savior and as their Lord that they traveled thousands of miles and everywhere they went they leavened lives and villages and nations and empires. Throughout human history we see the impact of Jesus through the lives of those who have been transformed by his love. We are recipients of their faithfulness to let the kingdom of God grow within them or we wouldn't be sitting here worshiping today. God, Jesus, transforms people. When William Wilberforce became a Christian, he used his political position to spend the rest of his life putting an end to Great Britain's slave trade. In the United States, there were Christians who were abolitionists, such as Garrison and Douglas and Weld and Stowe and Finney, who worked to abolish slavery and to free enslaved people. It was followers of Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but it was followers of Jesus who worked for women to have the right to vote. It was followers of Jesus who founded hospitals and orphanages and homes where people need more supervised care. These are people doing things bigger than themselves because the kingdom of God has been at work in them. Not only are we called to nurture that seed within us and that leaven within us, but to be more Christ-like, we are also taking that leaven, that light, <laughs> that salt into this world. That's our influence. Now God, as Greg reminded us, God is a generous God. 
God is a generous God, and God's grace extends to everyone, even when God knows that some will refuse it. God still extends it. That's true for you, and it's true for me. Accepting God's grace and and entering a relationship with Christ, who is the one we follow to experience what we call the abundant life. So are you looking for a center for your life? Or are you looking for an anchor? Or are you trying to find some meaning in all the madness of the wild rat race of life? Madness? What has you on the hamster wheel wearing you out? I'm suggesting to you that the abundant life that living in Christ gives us the centering and anchoring that we're looking for in our lives. It provides a compass for our life's direction. And we begin to discover and grow into the meaning and purpose of our lives and living a worthy calling beyond this one solitary life. What is my life about? What does it mean? We find that in Christ and our life in him. So Christ continually invites us into a relationship that begins when we ask for it. We ask for it. Or relationship that deepens. Or if we've strayed and been less than obedient, we can renew that relationship. That's why we sing this hymn of response. That's our opportunity to respond to Christ's invitation to us. The only thing that limits the depth and breadth and power of the work or reign or kingdom of God within you and me is you to you and me to me. That's the only thing. If you want more from your relationship with Christ, simply ask for it. Ask for it. Because Christ is waiting to engage in your life with you and bring all that the abundant life is. Let that tiny mustard seed of faith grow into a huge faith tree. But you must ask. So just ask. My friends, just ask. Just ask.